Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by Spring Hill Suites, Dayton South Miamisburg, the Hamvention home for Ham Talk Live. Reserve your rooms now at marriott.com or call 888-850-6391. It's Ham Radio with Neil Rapp. Here we go. Welcome to Ham Talk Live. Call in, let's talk Neil's your guide. Ham Talk Live, here we go on Ham Talk Radio. Hey, I hope you're having a great day. It's time for another episode of Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 51, The Expedition Logistics with George Nicholson, N4GRN, recorded live on Thursday, February 9th, 2017. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight we'll be joined by George Nicholson, N4GRN. Uh, George is the go-to guy for packing up equipment for those big top 10D expeditions and handling all the logistics for the trips. And so we're going to take your calls live in just a few minutes. Uh, last week on Ham Talk Live, Joe Eisenberg, K0NEB, was here to talk about as a visit to the new home of the Dayton Hamvention and also talk about the new Bayou Jumper Kit. And if you missed that show, you can listen anytime on demand at hamtalklive.com or you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or just about any uh, podcast service and also over on YouTube. I do want to remind everybody that next week is school club roundup week. And uh, I'm in a good mood today because we got our antenna back up finally uh, and uh, got everything uh, up and running and we just got a couple of little things to fix and, uh, and we can get through school club roundup with uh with where we're at. So I'm excited about uh, having the stepper back up and getting on the air next week with the kids. And uh, so give us a call, you know, give these schools a call. They'll be on all week, Monday through Friday next week. Um, be a lot of activity between 14250 and 14280. Um, and you can see all the recommended frequencies um, over at the ARRL website. Uh, just look for School Club Roundup on there. And um, if you want to hear more about School Club Roundup, go back in the archives on Ham Talk Live. We did a show back in October with Lou uh, into our queue. 
and uh, no, he's going to be on as well. So hopefully um, you guys can uh, get on School Club Roundup next week, and uh, there will be a little feature from Lou uh, on Amateur Radio Newsline, which uh, came out just a little bit ago, actually. came out a little early, so uh, you can check that out as well. All right, well, get your uh, questions ready to go on how all these de-expeditions get all that stuff to the middle of nowhere. And uh, after uh, we do a little interview with George, you can call us. Uh, the telephone number to call is 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638-4261. Or you can give us a call on Skype. Uh, that's where we're at, and that's at Ham Talk Live. You can send a question via Twitter as well. If you've got Mike Fright, our Twitter handle is at Ham Talk Live. You can catch us there too. So I'll be back with George right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's dime store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a Ham Fest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and ham sticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Thanks once again to Scott and Jill over at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight. They'll bring you Ham Talk Live each week. They're at the Orlando Hamcation this weekend. And then they'll be in Dalton, Georgia on February 25th and Cave City, Kentucky on March 4th. Or give them a call, 920-435-2973 or visit their website, pl-259.com. And mention Ham Talk Live. They'd like to hear that. Uh, Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at hamtalklive.com. And if you miss the show, all you got to do is go to hamtalklive.com and pull it up or go to one of those podcasting uh, websites as well. And chances are we're there. George Nicholson, N4GRN, became a ham in 2003. George is a commercial contractor for both general and electrical projects and specializes in adaptive reuse, historic renovations, nightclubs and restaurants, and structural restoration. So George put his contractor skills to work in ham radio by taking care of the logistics for many of the major top 10 needed de-expeditions. He's also gone on several of those de-expeditions to islands like Peter One, Desacheo, Navasa, Malpelo, and South Orkney, um, Antarctica, the expeditions himself. Uh, he lives in Fairburn, Georgia with his wife, Kim. And in addition to ham radio, 
George does a lot of, um, or did a lot of caving and climbing, backpacking, skydiving, and, and camping in the past. And now he's uh, doing some cooking and raising some exotic plants. So we may have to get into that. Uh, his uh, homepage is at george-nicholson.com. So, George, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It's a pleasure to be on tonight. Well, we want to talk about some of these exotic trips, um, the D-Expeditions. Uh, you've worked with uh, Bob Alfin and, and Glenn Johnson and, and Craig Thompson and a bunch of these guys that, that put together these big-time trips. And trying to pack is what we want to talk about tonight. Uh, you have the daunting task of, of trying to put together all this equipment and make sure you've got everything you need over there and and not too much because you got to pack it all and send it all and and get it over there in the middle of nowhere so tell us how you go about preparing for one of these de-expeditions well the first one that i was involved in was the peter the first uh, trip it was my first de-expedition i'd only been a ham for two years uh I ended up on the team and was asked to handle uh, a lot of the logistics for the project. And it turned out that I handled everything in the end as far as packing and containerizing and getting everything to South America, onto the island, packed up and brought back to the States. In the process of doing that the first time, I spent a number of hours researching every possible thing that we could need while on the island. Uh, I prepared an Excel spreadsheet that had 18 individual uh, pages, and each page had anywhere from 20 to 300 line items. And once that was compiled, and I felt that I had a pretty good idea of what was needed, for example, the radio tab would have all of the radio uh, equipment, the transceivers, the amplifiers, bandpass filters, everything that actually was part of the radio table set up uh, was in that first tab. Antennas, coax was on a second tab. Once I got those set up, I passed them out to the various team members in charge of each category. Um, Jerry, W9BZ, has helped a lot with the antennas, he and Ralph, so they would tweak the antenna list. Uh, Craig, uh, Bob Alf, and Glenn would tweak the radio and amplifier list. So after each list was tweaked, I would clean it up, send it out again. Once we got everything complete on the list, the next thing we do is we start assigning box numbers, uh, which is where my work really comes in. We generally have everything shipped to Atlanta. We'll have it in a large storage building, and every item is put into a box. The boxes are put into larger boxes. Uh, Sometimes the larger boxes are three foot by three foot square cubed, and every box that size is assigned a number. A pallet will be assigned a pallet number. And every item is listed as to what box and what crate or pallet the box is in so that we know exactly where every piece is. Uh, 
that takes a considerable amount of time to inventory every item and, and exactly where it is in every box and every crate. It's uh, it's it's a real intense task, takes a lot of time. We're very fortunate here with the SEDXC club in Atlanta. Uh, a number of the club members have worked with Bob and I on the weekends preparing uh for example, we'll take the stepper antennas and assemble every one of them to make sure we've got all the components to make sure everything is fitted properly. Then we disassemble it, package it back up, number the package, inventory the package, and we do that with everything. Uh, Craig takes all of the transceivers and amplifiers, burns those in, tests those. So everything is tested before we go, and then once it's signed off on, it's put into a container and stored until we actually get ready to package the shipping container. Uh, it's it's a rather intense process. Yeah, that's that's very intense. So, do you have any numbers on like how long that takes and how much stuff you you have to pack for that? Yeah, we generally start. Uh, well, for example, Bouvet. Uh, we are beginning to start working on the list now. Ralph has had the list uh, for a while, and I've had the list. Bob's got it. Glenn's got it. We are working on various components and putting it together now for Bouvet, which is coming up this time next year. So a year ahead, we start actually acquiring materials and deciding how we're going to ship once we've got the list pretty well tweaked, we know who's donating equipment, what equipment we're taking, how many stations we're setting up. At that point, I start thinking about uh, the actual shipping and logistics. I start researching pricing from the various ship lines, uh, start talking to various customs agents in the U.S. And, and South America or New Zealand, depending on where we're shipping to. And that takes three or four months to acquire their portions at time that I get involved with, such as arranging for the fueling for the ship when it arrives at port, arranging for the pilot ships when they come in. That's all worked through the customs uh, agents uh, in South America and New Zealand. So I get to move from the packaging into those other areas about halfway through the actual inventorying and, and packaging of the merchandise before it leaves the States. The line items, uh, for example, the Amsterdam list I, I was looking at yesterday, there was 1,042 individual line items uh, on the customs list. Uh, each of those line items has got a box number, a crate number, a weight, a size, who was responsible for getting it to the container, uh, whether it's completely packaged or whether there's parts needed, all of that's in the inventory list along with a cost for customs and a weight so that when we get ready to set up the helicopter sling loads, we know how much each box weighs so we don't have to physically weigh boxes uh, on the ship before we take sling loads to the island. So it's uh, it's a lot of items, the 142 items uh may not just may not be individual items one item could well be interface boxes for the rig well the interface box would have a usb cable possibly a serial cable 
uh, a RGA cable. That could be a number of cables that are in that one line item. Uh, so it's really more than the 1,042 items that were there, but, but that's the breakout that we had. Uh, for example, the plastic bag would hold all of those cables. So one line item might have 10 individual items in it. And it's wow. critical that we know which uh, box every item is in because if customs decides to open up a box in the container at the port and the box does not have what's on the inventory for that box, then it leaves them with possibly opening up a lot of containers. And you really don't want that to happen. You start worrying about items disappearing or getting damaged, uh, not being properly stored back. Uh, so you've got to make sure, I try to make 100% sure that every box has got exactly what's on the inventory in it. Wow. <laughs> that's just that's a lot of work. And, of course, you've got the rigs and the antennas and the supports and the interfaces and all that. Uh, what about living arrangements? Or are you taking care of all the shelters and food and water? Do you do that, too? Or do you have somebody else that does that? Or well, or it's it broken all yours? down. It's broken down. Uh, there's a lot of help uh, involved. For example, the Bouvet trip, uh, Glenn uh, Johnson, uh, W0GJ, he's been doing most of the research on shelters this time, uh, he and Ralph, and uh, we're still looking at shelters. It's sort of a joint effort. We all talk about it. We run things by each other, but Glenn has been doing most of the phone calling on shelters this time. We're looking at some shelter options for this trip. Uh, previous trips, Ralph had actually bought the shelters, had shipped them to Atlanta. We built the floor systems for the shelters here in Atlanta. And um, the rigs, for, like I say, the rigs are, I guess the last two trips, Craig has dealt directly uh, with the manufacturers on the rigs and has had those shipped direct to his location where he burns them in, then he ships them to me and we package them up uh, into Pelican cases. What what I try to do is take a station, a complete station, and put in one Pelican case. Uh, it would generally have a K3, an amplifier, one or two bandpass filters, all the interface cables needed, and a power supply. Uh, We'd have to, that way you could take a Pelican case, you could put it on the floor beside a table and everything could go on the table and just be put together and you didn't have to run from table to table looking for cables. A complete station would be in one Pelican case. That also diversifies the load uh, in the event that you lost a box or a sling had to be dropped from the helicopter because wind was tossing it around and it was too dangerous and the helicopter had to drop the sling. You don't want to lose all of your bandpass filters or all of your patch cables. So everything is diversified into a number of boxes so that you never are out of business if you lose one or two boxes. That's all part of this inventorying and packaging that I do is make sure that we don't put all of the toroids in one box. We spread them out. Uh, we don't put all of the patch cables in one box. Uh, that way... Like I say, you're not out of business if you lose 
one or two boxes or a full crate or a full sling load. Same with food, same with safety equipment. Uh, everything is diversified. And, uh, you know, we have to, when we go to go on these trips to these islands, we have to take everything. We set up a complete infrastructure to completely support the team for two weeks. So we've got shelter, food, medical and safety, um, sanitation. Uh, you've got your, you know, your, your shelters, your bedding, and then you've got all of the ham radio stuff plus the power infrastructure, all of the antenna towers and poles, and it's a massive amount of material. Uh, I think we actually had the weights on two of the trips, and it was around 18 to 20 tons of equipment uh, packaged that was helicoptered to the island. Peter the First, we had 26 helicopter sling drops each direction. That's a, a lot of helicopter flights getting material oh, to an yeah. island. And I know that uh, from watching the, the video and talking to the, some of the people on the trip that uh, – uh, you weren't able to finish all of those coming back uh, quite all at the same time. And <laughs> that was interesting. Yes, we actually uh, left the island a few days early because of an impending storm that was coming, a huge storm. And we were down to the last uh, two or three large boxes were left on the island along with the helicopter two-man support crew and Charles Veeley, the world's most traveled man who was on the trip with us. Uh, Charles became a real hard-working team member and, and helped with a lot of the infrastructure building. He just chipped in and, and helped. Uh, so Charles and two of the helicopter crew were on the island. The storm rolled in early. The helicopter had to leave and leave them on the island. Uh, they were there a number of hours uh, without shelter, without food. Uh, it was it was a little scary and a little interesting, uh, but everything worked out. Got a got a beautiful picture of Charles and the helicopter tr crew coming across the flight ramp when they got out of the helicopter on the ship, carrying the American flag <laughs> with this big smile on their faces. Oh, I bet, I yep. bet. Yep. So, so speaking of coming back and unloading, and then you got to take care of all the, you know, things to put the island back the way you know it was. You know, with most of these uh, trips, um, then you've got all of this stuff that you bring back. So, what happens to all these antennas and radios and everything once you're back from one of these trips? Does it go on to the next group of people going out on a trip well various things happen, things happen. Um, sometimes uh Elecraft will say if the team members want to purchase the rigs they can purchase them at a small discount or if there are club members that want to purchase them that have been involved and, and helped a lot so some of the rigs are sold uh, some of them are actually sold pre-expedition uh, and uh, the manufacturers, especially Elecraft, have been real good about configuring the rigs uh, to the specific needs on the island. And a lot of times those tweaked out rigs are things that some of the big uh, contest guys would, would like to have. 
So Craig has bought a number of them. Jerry's bought some. I've purchased one. Uh, you have an opportunity to do that. Sometimes the antennas go directly on to the next day expedition, uh, especially things like the Battle Creek Special. It's always uh, cleaned up and prepared here in Atlanta. When we get back, we clean it up and make sure all the parts are in it and it's good and clean. And we'll hold it sometimes for a month or two and then ship it direct to the next day expedition team. Sometimes it's shipped back and, and put in storage uh, with the owner. Uh, same things with uh, DX Engineering. Uh, we sometimes buy all of their stuff. Sometimes it goes to the next uh, de-expedition. And sometimes we hold it in storage for the next one we're preparing to do. We've still got uh, some Force 12 antennas from Amsterdam that will more than likely be going to Bouvet that have been in storage here in Atlanta. So it's a number of different things that happen. Uh, so you have to, when you leave the island, you've got to package all of this stuff back up, and you have to make sure you, you don't lose parts and you don't damage it and you try to keep it dry. And it's a task leaving the island uh, and then getting the stuff back to the States. And then when you get back, you've got that task of uncrating it all and cleaning it up and, and dispersing it where it needs to go. So it's an ongoing process for about two years. Wow, uh, it's just amazing that uh, you know you've got all that uh, all that work to do, but uh, you can't just run out to the to the local electronics store and and pick up a plug. <laughs> no, uh, for example, Alacraft uh, would always send a couple of extra boards boards that uh, not that they have problems with their rigs, but boards that tend to have failures due to static and things like that and that, that might damage easier than other boards they will send replacement boards or send replacement diodes in case we have an electrical storm i know we lost uh i guess it was a couple of icom radios we lost due to static electricity building up in a storm one night on a dipole and it wiped out some diodes in the front end of the rigs during the night and uh we fortunately had spare parts and, and were able to change those out the next day so you've got to carry you've got to be sort of prepared for those kind of things and every trip you go on there's always something new that comes up uh we had on malpalo two generators that that died uh, due to the heat and we actually had the tools and some extra parts with us and we're able to disassemble the two bad generators and put one good one back together. So uh, we try to carry all the tools we could need, uh, all the parts within reason. You've got to weigh all of this extra stuff with how long it's going to take you to get it to the island, how costly it is to buy, and there's a number of things that you just have to juggle around to make sure you don't take too much but that you've got everything you need. Wow, there's a lot of uh, preparation into into that, and I'm sure we could we could ask a lot of things uh, that are that are coming to mind on you know how how all this actually works. So we're going to give you the listener a chance to ask. Uh, when we come back, we'll start taking your phone calls uh, at eight one two net ham one and uh, look at some tweets. Uh, you can catch us over at Ham Talk Live, but we need to take a quick break. Uh, but we'll be back right after this message from Spring Hill Suites, Miamisburg, right here on Ham Talk Live. 
If you're going to the Dayton Hamvention this year, be sure to join us for a live broadcast from Spring Hill Suites Dayton South in Miamisburg, Ohio on Hamvention Eve, Thursday, May 18th. Ham Talk Live will have a live audience and we'll put some of our visitors on the air to celebrate the annual migration to Dayton. And if you're still in need of a place to stay, Spring Hill Suites Dayton South Miamisburg still has some rooms available. Just 25 minutes from the new home of Hamvention in Xenia, Spring Hill Suites Dayton South Miamisburg is near the Dayton Mall, shopping districts, and restaurants. Enjoy fast Wi-Fi, an indoor pool, free breakfast buffet, rooms with microwave and refrigerator and sofa, and it's just minutes away from both I-75 and I-675. Reserve your rooms now at Marriott.com or call 888-850-6391. Spring Hill Suites, Dayton, South Miamisburg, the Hamvention home for Ham Talk Live. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Yesterday, my XYL said she'd leave me if I didn't give up ham radio. Over. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Welcome back to Ham Talk Live. We're here at hamtalklive.com every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Check out our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. Just search for Ham Talk Live. And uh, thanks to the folks at Spring Hill Suites. If you need a room for Hamvention, give them a call. Um, we're going to uh, be there on Thursday night and have the live broadcast. So wanted to get that information out to everyone. But uh, right now, it's time for your calls. If you have a question for George, give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype us at Ham Talk Live, And uh, you can also tweet at HamTalkLive um, as well. And uh, we do have some tweets here, so we'll just go ahead and dig into those. i got a couple of things on my list here still, but, uh, but let's get to uh, some of these uh, questions um, that have come in from none other than Dr. Scott Wright, K0MD. He wants to know what's the toughest de-expedition, uh, which one's been the toughest to organize, uh, was it uh, Malpelo in the heat or Amsterdam in the middle of nowhere or one of the Antarctics? And uh, are there any left on your bucket list uh, to organize and operate from? And I think this is a loaded question um, here, George. Uh, it says, who has the loudest signal from your end of the pileup? <laughs> I'm sure that's a loaded question. Uh, I always... Uh we laugh about making sure that I listen for the uh, K0MD <laughs> carefully. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to contact Scott on several of the de-expeditions. It, it's really odd how the propagation works on these trips. Um, U.S. can be coming in really strong, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Uh, but... Uh, you never know that the big guys with the big rigs aren't always the loudest sometimes. So it's, it's interesting. 
what we get because we hear much better a lot of times on these remote islands than anybody else does in the big cities and even in the country because we've got no no noise so uh, hearing is not a problem usually but I do listen for Dr. Scott Uh, he's one of my favorite people as I listen for everybody Uh, I think the toughest one that I've organized was actually the Navasa trip. Uh, it was tough in that there was so many hurdles to go over with immigrations and customs and U.S. Fish and Wildlife. It was just a constant battle for six or eight months trying to get everything in order so that we had no problems when we got there. Uh, and we had some glitches when we got there. We had anticipated them. We knew what to do. Uh, it went smooth after we, we got there, but uh, that was the toughest one, I think, as far as organizing and and pulling it off. Uh, Peter the First was probably the most serious concern. Uh, it was my first was one one reason the other reason is it was a dangerous location we had to make sure we had everything we needed Uh, we had to make sure we knew where it was so it was a tough job packaging and things had to go in last that came out first and it was a real challenge to package that one Malpelo uh, that was split up between the Colombian team and the U.S. team making sure that we coordinated everything and and Columbia had what they were supposed to have and we had what we were supposed to have. Uh, It was a little bit challenging to make sure that happened. Uh, They're all challenges in different kinds of ways, uh, every one of them. Uh, The hot locations have got different needs. You've got more water requirements. Uh, You've got to worry about generators overheating. You've got to make sure team members stay hydrated. We've got to make sure that we've got uh, plenty of electrolytes on the hot trips so that people don't have electrolyte problems. We almost had a few at Malpelo. Uh, we found out into the first week there that the ship that was preparing the food, the chef, could not eat salt at all. So everything he was preparing was being prepared with a salt substitute, which we did not know. And uh, Dr. Gary found out one day that that's why people were having cramps and we ended up getting out a bag of salt and, and resalting oh all of our food as we got it. So, wow. yeah, those are the kind of things you don't think about uh, sometimes. And uh, you just have to make sure you've got what you need when those things come up. And the neat thing is is these the expeditions that Bob and Glenn and Ralph – put together the teams are such that we've got a variety of skills and everybody has input into everything and we can cover pretty much anything that happens on the trip and and therefore prior to trip i'm constantly getting feedback did you have this on the list has this been accounted for uh it's 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 an i really enjoy doing it it's very interesting uh putting these these packages together Customs and immigrations can be a real challenge, but that's been the, the worst one was the uh, Navasa trip and Jamaica. Jamaica was just a real hassle. Nice people, 
And in the end, it was not a problem, but they just had their way of doing it, and it was very difficult. And any on the bucket list, any that you you still haven't done that you want to do? Well, my number one on the bucket list since Peter the First has been Desicheo. <laughs> so uh, I haven't looked for the next bucket list yet. Uh, I had been looking toward Desicheo. I mean, been looking for Choad Bouvet uh, since Peter the First. Uh, I'm sure I'll have a new bucket list, but right now I haven't had time to think about the next one. Got a lot of preparation to do for, for Bouvet absolutely and that's uh coming up just a year away and we look forward to that uh we do have another tweet from eric into koj and he wants to know what your favorite d expedition was and uh what's your most memorable contact while operating um on a d expedition okay those are good ones um uh, i guess the favorite my my most favorite D expedition. Uh, that's really hard. I don't know that I have a favorite. Peter the first, maybe because it was my first and it was a big challenge. And we met a lot of very interesting people, uh, on the way there and on the way back. Uh, I think it was, it's probably the one I remember the most, but they're all unique in their own way. And a big part of these large trips is the camaraderie of all of the people involved, not just the team, but the unique people that you meet in the Antarctic, the unique people you meet with the shipping companies, uh, like the Braveheart crew, the DAP crew that took us to Peter One. Uh, it's just so many facets to it that it's really hard to say what the favorite is. And as far as uh, the most memorable contact, uh, again, that's hard to say. When I sit down at the rig and I've got my three-hour shift, it's gone before I know it. You, you get into a zone of just listening for call signs, and there are times that I contact friends and don't even realize I've done it until I'm off the air, and somebody says, do, do you remember talking to... K0MD, for example, uh, I think I made a contact with Scott. I believe it was maybe Dustin Cheo, and I didn't even realize I was talking to Scott at the time. I was just as rapidly as possible knocking him off the knocking him off the list as they were coming in. Uh, but I think uh, maybe some of the guys that uh, I remember that in my first one or two trips that I had heard so much about, like Marty Lane and some of those guys, uh, I remember my first contact with them from Peter the First or from uh, Desicheo. Uh, but I don't have a, a favorite contact, I don't guess. I know a lot of people do, but I, I really don't. Okay, and Eric follows up with, how about just as a ham operator in, in general anywhere? Do you have a most memorable contact? Ever. Most memorable contact ever. Yes, I, actually, I do. Um, I had, I had a, back back in high school and college, I wanted to be a ham, but I had nobody living close to us. I could not learn the Morse code by myself, so I never got my license. I had been prepared to pass the written test. I had built all the Heathkit stuff, and I remember when I got my 
ticket. I've got my novice ticket first. Uh, I was uh, getting ready to go in for open heart surgery the next week. And my first contact was on, uh, I guess it was, I think it was 50, um, six meters. And it was to, it was to Newfoundland. And that was my first contact ever on ham radio. Well, I had just purchased a home in Nova Scotia about a month before that. Turns out the contact in Newfoundland was a very good friend of one of the fishing families I knew in Nova Scotia. And I met him the next year when I went up and gave the presentation on Peter the First. So I, I well remember that uh, I don't remember his call sign now. He's passed away. He was an old gentleman, but he was a, a Newfoundland guy, and I made that first contact on six meters. That's probably the one I remember the most. All right, very good. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left, so uh, if you want to tweet us, uh, it's at Ham Talk Live. Uh, we've got time maybe for one quick call at 812-NET-HAM-1. Uh, if you want to get that in, you need to do that right away because uh, we're just about out of time uh, for this evening. But uh, one of the things, and I actually was asking about this before the show, uh, since we just got our stepper back up at school today, and I remember all the work that it took to uh, to get it put together and drill out the, the poles and, and route those out and, and all the sh- uh, shrink wrap and everything to get all that going – uh, what exactly do you do a little differently uh, with those so that you can get those poles collapsed again after you uh, test everything, put everything uh, together um, so that you can pack those up and, and get them out and put them back? Well, the first, we, we take them all apart uh, as we do everything and assemble them here in Atlanta and, and test them to make sure they're working properly, make sure the control cables are all working properly, and then we disassemble and put back together. But, for example, the, the shrink wrap uh, we do not use. Uh, we use the really good uh, all-weather uh, 3M electrical tape to tape those tubes together with. Uh, we've never had a failure with it. Uh, it's it's not your regular Scotch 33 3M. It's a much more expensive uh, professional grade uh, tape that we use to put them together with. They keep it completely dry. It doesn't get really hard in cold weather. It doesn't melt in hot weather. So that's that's what we do with the with the steppers. And we don't you don't tape uh, the the control cables you don't use tape to tape those together you put them together with zip ties the tape gets all sticky in hot weather and you've got a you know everything sticking to it so we try to keep everything clean and packaged neat and everything is tested at least once before it leaves uh for the container very good george well i've got more questions i could ask but we're out of time and uh i just thank you so much for giving us some insight on you know how to pack all this stuff up and we think you know making a little go kit's a little tough and (laughs) this is the ultimate go kit here we're talking about so thanks for all your work that you've done on uh, these to make these trips possible and and thanks for sharing uh, all that information with us tonight and uh, look forward to uh, to maybe having you come on again uh, 
maybe uh, after uh, the next trip and, or leading up to the next trip and uh, give us some more insight. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and be glad to come on anytime. All right. Well, that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. I'd like to thank my guest, George Nicholson, N4GRN, and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and tweeting in and invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time when uh, Fred K4IU will be here uh, to talk about DXing. And next week we celebrate being on the air for one year. So thank you all for listening and uh, tell your friends about the show. And uh, here's hoping for an even better second year of Ham Talk Live. For a list of all of our upcoming guests, be sure to visit hamtalklive.com. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours. Don't